Welcome to the Sales Genius Podcast. On this edition, we're going to be talking about how to dig deep to understand what are the real issues that are going to drive the decisions that your prospects ultimately make. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Sales Genius Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Davidoff. Today, we're going to dig deep into an issue that I think every salesperson faces. And that is, how do you, when talking to prospects, make sure that you really are covering all the bases and that the information that you're getting from the prospect is the whole truth and that you're able to build predictability into the actions that you take and you're able to justify, frankly, the investments that you have to make to carry a sale all the way through its process. This edition of the Sales Genius Podcast has been inspired by an Ask Me Anything question that we got on the Sales Genius Facebook group. So if you're not a member of the Sales Genius Facebook group, Get on Facebook right now, look up Sales Genius Network, join it. You'll have the opportunity to ask questions, share information with your peers. Of course, take the opportunity to join the Sales Genius Network at imaginellc.com slash sales hyphen genius. That's the forum where we share resources, tools, insights, and it's also where you can get the show notes. I'm going to be referring to some slides today. In the show notes, you'll be able to see the video. You'll also be able to access the slides. Alrighty, enough with the intro. Let's get into the question. Great question from Remington Beggs. He asked, how do you unpack a client's goal in a way to ensure accuracy? How do you figure out if they are blowing smoke versus providing actionable stats? When I asked him to expand on it, he gave me a use case. Told me about a client that provided their goals. They went out, built a plan to accomplish the objectives, and when they presented the solution, uh, there was a clear mismatch. The, the client wasn't, for lack of a better word, serious about the goals that they had communicated and, in Remington's words, kind of laid it out there to, to see what Remington would be able to do. Then John McTeague came in and uh, added to that. He gave a version two use case. I promised him I would address this as well. He added, the client doesn't understand what it takes to reach a certain goal and may be facing internal resistance, budget limitations, false faith in their own brand and products. Quote, none of this gets out in discovery. Let's talk about how we address this situation. How do we solve this problem? Before digging in, it, it kind of begs a common question that marketers, salespeople, business executives alike either ask outright sometimes, or at least they, they really wonder it. The question is, do prospects lie? And the answer is yes, prospects do lie. But they very rarely lie consciously. Um, there's lots of reasons that a prospect, even a customer, will share something, say something, commit to something, that in hindsight turns out to be quote-unquote a lie. Uh, the number one reason is they lack the knowledge, right? We all suffer from the curse of knowledge. Anyone that's providing any solution in, in any effective way, part of our proposition is we know more about the issues than the customer or the prospect does. It's very, what the curse of knowledge is, is basically a, a psychological 
condition where the mind of somebody who really knows something struggles mightily to understand the mind of the person who doesn't understand something. So, so a lot of times we know what they say means. We know what's involved in that. But they don't know what's involved in that. And so they're actually saying something very different than what we're hearing. Another reason is they lack context. I remember when I was a financial advisor, one of my very first meetings, I said, oh, so you're looking to invest. Yes, yes. What are you looking to invest for? And his answer, it blew me away. Now, it's an obvious answer, but it blew me away because I literally couldn't do anything with it. I said, when I said, what are you investing for? He said, to make money. I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, I didn't think you were investing to lose money. How much money are you looking to make? His answer, as much as I can. And that's when I told him, I said, see, I can't do anything with that, right? Because as much as you can, well, if you want to make a killing, you've got to take a lot of risk. If you don't want to take a lot of risk, then you can't make a killing, right? And if you take a lot of risk, you may make a killing, but you also increase the likelihood that you lose everything, right? And so there is a cost associated to that outcome. But my prospect didn't know that. And if I hadn't dug deeper to uncover that, he wouldn't have known it either. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting that I've learned from observing salespeople in action is we have a tremendous number of ways. We actually lead the prospect to lie. What would you like to achieve? What would your best outcome be? We're, we're asking the prospect to give us an answer that that may not be what's really driving them or what they're really thinking about. It's important to understand if you're looking to, to get a new customer, there, there's a simple equation to winning the sale. The, the equation is that the pain of not buying must be greater than the pain of buying. Right? Realize to buy from you means pain. I'm going to have to spend money. I'm going to have to put forth effort. I'm going to take risk. I'm going to have to work differently. I'm going to have to typically get other people involved in things. There's a lot of pain associated with buying. I actually talked about this in episode three of the Sales Genius Podcast. I encourage you to listen to that podcast to complement what I'm talking about here today. So what we need to do, and really in a lot of ways what sales is all about, is helping the prospect understand that the pain of not buying, that their current situation is creating more problems and more pain than the pain that's going to be created when they do buy. And, you know, it's interesting, and I, and I quoted the end of John's question because I, I've never really liked the word discovery, especially for how we use it. See, I, I've learned that salespeople have a tendency to skip steps. D discovery doesn't really describe an outcome. You know, it's, it's kind of like saying I'm going to try. Discovery. Did we discover? Yes, we discovered. I discovered what they wanted to achieve. But the difficulty is in, in pure discovery and, you know, candidly, the way I see most salespeople conducting what they call discovery, it really doesn't dig deep enough to make sure that you're getting the whole truth. You see, there's a huge issue associated with skipping steps, right? I've learned that the key, if you want to increase your sales velocity, the key is to slow down the sales process. I, I like to talk about what I call the customer acquisition swing path. I, I, 
in virtually any business, any situation, what, what you see up on uh, the screen now is, is the path that any sale, any buy decision is ultimately going to go through. Right? And what we need to understand as a sales organization or as a salesperson is there's really three distinct hurdles. Right? The first hurdle is can, can we get to the point of having a serious conversation? Can we connect to the things that matter? The second hurdle is getting the commitment to investigate. And the third hurdle is the commitment to buy, right? the commitment to solve the problem. What, what ends up happening far too often is we identify a problem. And, and please understand, when I talk about a problem, a problem can be a good problem or a bad problem. A problem can be an opportunity that I want to achieve. I want more than something, so I want to improve. Or it can be a trouble that I want to eliminate, What? we often typically think of as a problem. So when I talk about problem, I'm talking about opportunity or what we colloquially usually call a problem, right? The, the mistake, the biggest, most common single mistake that gets made constantly is we hear a problem. Customer says they want to achieve something. We go into, yeah, we can help you achieve it. This is perfect. We do this all the time. We go, well, let me show you what we can do. And, and the customer goes, yeah, great. I'd love to. And, and here's the thing. Remember, the customer doesn't have the knowledge or the context to really understand what's involved in what we're saying. So because they lack the knowledge, they also lack the ability to value what's involved. And so while it might seem ridiculous that, that someone that wants to add $10 million of growth thinks spending $100,000 is too expensive... It might seem ridiculous when you know something. If you don't know it, you think, yeah, I just need to get some people to talk. How expensive could that be? Right? And, and so really the job of sales is, is bringing into synchronicity and, and equilibrium that, the, those key components that are involved in whether or not someone's going to make a decision to move forward, and if they make the decision to move forward, what path are they going to move forward with? Right. And that, that's why I like to talk about diagnosis. I think it's discovery diagnosis, right? Diagnosis means you're getting to the root of things. You're defining the problem. You're defining, and again, you're defining the problem or defining the opportunity. You're defining the cause of the problem. You're defining the cost and the consequences of the problem, and you're defining whether or not the problem is big enough to require a solution, and, and to what level is someone going to work to solve that problem, right? Now, the second mistake that we make in sales that leads to the issue that Remington and John have talked about is we tend to look at selling from what is the seller supposed to be doing. And what we have to realize is there's really a mutual conversation, a mutual set of decisions that are taking place. And, and that's why I like to use models like what I'm showing you right now. Right? As you move through your sales process, you should be laying out what is the salesperson thinking, or at least what should they be thinking, and what is the prospect thinking, or at least what should the prospect be thinking. And, and, and let me be clear, when you define what the prospect should be thinking, Anything that you don't confirm that the prospect has thought about that, if they skip any of those things that I'm about to show you, that increases dramatically the 
the unpredictability, the lack of predictability in what the outcome will be. All of the things that I lay out, if they're not thought about, increase decision reluctance, increase the likelihood that a prospect has unreasonable expectations, maybe even to the point of silly expectations. Right. So what I'm showing you here is, is, is kind of a streamlined version to make sure it applies to just about anybody that might be listening or watching this video. The diagnosis phase, again, all about defining the problem, the cause of the problem, the, co the cost or consequence of the problem, and how imperative is it to solve the problem, right? And so that's what we should be thinking, right? As we're going through the diagnosis phase, we're, we're thinking, we're asking, what is the problem here? What's the real problem? Does, does the problem align with our solutions? Is, is this a match? What are the underlying causes of the problem? What have they done to solve the problem? Now, let me tell you something. If they haven't done anything to solve the problem, don't expect them to do a lot once you propose it to them. We, we have this false belief that if we just show them what's involved, we'll win them over. You know, when I, when I was a financial advisor, we had legally, we were had to say past performance was not indicative of future returns. The problem is that really wasn't true. Right? The single best indicator of what someone will do in the future is what have they done in the past. And I met a company, they were been around for about 15 years. They were doing two, two and a half million dollars. We were going through their goal-setting objective phase. They were telling me, yeah, over the next three years, they want to be a $15 million company. Now, they'd been in business for, for a year and a half. I'm sorry, for 15 years. They were a $2 million company. And they wanted to become a $15 million company in a two to three year period of time. Really? What's changed? What, what's there to indicate that what the person is saying is legitimate, is real? Right? Yeah, I want to be a $15 million company tomorrow too. But unless something materially has changed, if I've been what I am for 15 years, unless there's been a material change, I'm, I might accelerate some growth, but I'm not going to radically change. So what have they done to solve the problem? How important is it that they solve the problem? Is solving the problem imperative? And, and, and so in the example that we gave, Remington, if you had you know, asked how important is this, what's involved, like what happens if this doesn't happen, you would have uncovered that. Right. Now, now this is what your prospect is thinking. I have a gap. Something important isn't getting accomplished. Now remember, if I ask you to dream big, you'll dream big. But, but just because you tell me what you want doesn't tell me what you need. They're asking themselves, are the actions we've taken enough? Remember, they're going to try to accomplish whatever it is they want to accomplish, making the minimal change possible. Right? And so they have to come to the conclusion that the actions that they've taken aren't enough, they have to look outside of what they've currently been doing, and they have to decide that this is really important to them. And, and it's such an obvious question sometimes to ask, how important is this to you? Because sometimes it'll get communicated to us with a lot of passion, and so we'll, we'll mistake passion for importance. Right? We've got to ask that question. We've got to confirm how important is this. Now, the diagnosis then leads to the next stage, 
what I typically refer to as solution design. Now here I'm asking what are their expectations and this is where we get the champagne taste beer budget. This is where we get the big expectations with lots of resistance that we don't know about. Right? So we want to get clear what are their expectations. That, that's where the goal comes. Are these expectations reasonable? Does it fit? What are they willing to do? And what are they willing to invest to achieve those expectations? This is a conversation that we skip all the time. And by the way, this doesn't have to be, so what's your budget? Right? This is not the nice way of saying what's your budget. It's, well, what have you done? What changes are you planning to make? If I weren't here, what would you be doing to try to achieve it? Right? If, if this is the outcome, what can you do? All those things come to play. Because then we have to figure out, is that enough? And one of the things I've learned is the way that the customer defines the problem initially and where they're in a position to be able to solve the problem, the two don't match. I mean, I can tell you I deal with it all the time as a business owner. Right? I've got big problems that I want to solve. And if you came to me with the right solution, I probably couldn't afford it. And maybe it's not even just money. It's time, capacity, disruption all those things come together right and and so in realizing that that that's not enough then there's an expectations conversation that comes in okay how can we maybe not solve all of it right away how can we phase it out we're thinking how do they define success is is that definition of success clear and what decision criteria are they going to use to make a decision the prospect is thinking this is how we'll know the problem is solved. If, if the prospect can't answer that question clearly, and, and I can tell you from experience, most of them can't until you work with them, then they're going to be very unpredictable in, in how they behave, the actions that they take. It's going to be very uncertain does it get through the consensus building and the organizational inertia. They're thinking and deciding what's the best way to decide on our course of action. And again, if we're not working with them, it's highly unlikely they're going to actually decide on the best way. Really what they're going to decide is what's the easiest way. What are we willing to invest? Time, money, energy. And then ultimately they're deciding on what are the criteria that we're going to use to decide. Some, some research came out from the Aberdeen Group that highlighted one of the big issues on the buy side is 60% of buyers admit they have either poor or ambiguous decision criteria, and that's one of the things that leads to indecision, fear of making decisions, and no decision. This is another place where we surface out, are you telling the truth, are you not telling the truth? Are you serious, are you not serious? How will you define success? How will you decide? These are the things we should always be thinking. See, as a salesperson, we should be thinking what's wrong with this picture? What isn't adding up? Now, I want to be clear, that's not being negative. Right? The key is if we can identify where are the mismatches, where are the red flags, where are the, the misalignments, then we can proactively address them. And by eliminating them, we make a sale. And if we can't eliminate them, then we know there's no sale to be made. And we don't end up spending a whole bunch of time and we don't expend a whole bunch of capital and we don't create a whole bunch of frustration.
Now, here's what's going on on the customer's brain, the prospect's brain, all the time. Is change really necessary? How can I do this without changing? What are the alternatives? So here's the key. Here's how you avoid this. Spend more time in the diagnosis phase. We recommend that 50% of the active selling time should actually be spent on diagnosis. That's a dramatic slowdown of the sales process. The, the payoff is if you spend 50% of the time on diagnosis, and to be clear, that's where the sale is made, you'll be able to spend far, far less time actually having to deliver on designing the solution, on explaining or making your proposals. Because basically what the diagnosis does is it builds out your proposal for you. More importantly, or maybe not more importantly, but certainly as importantly, what this will do is it will surface out where things don't add up, where there are mismatches, where there are false signals, so that you don't expend wasted time on opportunities that we're never going to turn into sales. All right, Remington, I told you, and John, I told you guys, you asked a really good question. This is a little bit of a longer uh, ask me anything answer. Um, but I, I figured if I was going to go ahead and answer your question, I wanted to make sure that I answered it fully. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got some benefit from it. Uh, we'll have some ask me anythings coming up again soon. But hey, don't hesitate. Let me know what you thought of this. Anybody that's watching it, uh, let me know what you thought of it. Put it in the comments or throw in the Facebook group. Give me a challenge. Throw it out to the whole group. Let's see how we can all help each other. Until next time, go out and be a sales genius.